Well, today, we're going to come back up to that place where we walked in and realized God was everything. But there's this real experience that's like, you know, I think God's checked on me. You ever thought like that? I mean, you just feel like God's mind left your life. He is nowhere to go. And maybe you think it's because of something that you've done. It's like, man, I've just blown so bad there's absolutely no way God's grace could meet me there. Maybe for some of you, it's been things that have been done to you. You know, your first big day from talking about that is it anything bigger? You feel like I'm talking to you. I want you to realize today that one of those feelings are very powerful and real. The truth is, that's not the truth. See, experiences can clean you. Experience can get us to believe certain things and what they are right? We've grown up with this the whole life. Our whole experience with Christmas, it is real and real to be honest. And so we pull back the curtain and realize, wow, there's some things about Christmas that are true. I'm just trying to protect some of you because you have to be secret. Okay? But I'm really going to tell you that I'm going to be really careful in here because sometimes I'm going to be careful. But you're going to say that's right. Experience isn't always equal to truth. And experience can be something that we can say, well, we feel this way and we believe this way, but that's not the best place to place our belief. We don't, you know, we don't, uh, things don't become true because we believe them. We believe them because they're true. And we're all in a quest. Right? So that's what's going on in this song. Here's a guy who will read his spiritual journal, if you will, his prayer guy, his name is David. And he comes along in verse, verse 7, and he says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? You know, what he's coming up with is, is this experience here where he's asking two questions. The first one is, What do I do when it seems like Jesus is a million miles away and God is a million miles away? The next question we reference with is, what about the times when I want nothing to do with God? And he's wrestling with those two things in his own mind. If I mean, there's a time where, where I have just not wanted anything to do with God, his righteous ways, and I've done my own thing, and it's been a complete chain wreck, and then he's like, God's nowhere to be found. And he starts reflecting that, and that's when he starts writing that, that Passage just says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? See, when we're trying to be there, actually, we feel like God's going to away, we need to do two things, realize two things. The first one is, is that our wandering do not separate us from Jesus. That's the first thing we've got to remember. If we're going to regain our spiritual passion, when we feel like God is up the building, He's nowhere to be found in our life. There's no way we can be restored. We need to rest, remember, realize in the fact that our wandering do not separate us from Jesus. Do you believe that? There's just so much of the way we experience life and faith is we live things perfect. We do things perfect. We get this dramatic And then we bring that, that ideology into our faith and we think if I do things a certain way, then God's always going to be there, right? If I don't do certain things a certain way, then God somehow is in faith. And then we got to do whatever it takes to bring back. And we see, well, Bible verse 7 says, Where shall I go? 
or where shall I flee? I look at the first of those two words. I look at you thinking, where shall I go and where shall I flee from your, your presence? So if you're processing this, it's like, I want nothing to do with that. It feels like a million miles away. Where in the world am I going to go when I'm not going to find your spirit? Where in the world am I going to flee and not find your presence? This is the bottom line that he came to. And I want you to understand something. This word go is the passive sense. It's like you're going about your daily life, just doing your routine as if God is in And God is saying, you can live that way. You can look at it. You can go and live as if I'm not there. But you really need to find a place for my spirit. The other one is free. That's the active version. That's what we just say. You know, about day, I'm out of here. And that's where we try to run from him. We try to outrun him. And see, when, we're, when we find ourselves in this tension of God being a million miles away and wanting nothing to do with him, we have to remember that there is not a place that we can go. There's not a place that we can wander where he is not going to be there. So let's continue on in verse 8. He goes around and says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in steel, then you are there. And so it's like, I mean, these are both spiritual places, like heaven is the place of God dwells. Steel is this idea in the Old Testament, is the place of hell. You know, what we would understand as hell in the New Testament is the abode of the dead. It's like, you know, if I ascend, if I run to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the depths of hell, you are there. What you talking about the spiritual experiences, no matter what spiritual experience I have, no matter what extreme I am on the map or anywhere in between, you are there. There's not a spiritual condition or place that you will ever find yourself in this life or the life to come where God is not there. Always his voice, there's always the reminder of who he is, and always an understanding that he desires a renewed relationship with us. And that's what they say, you have a spiritual condition that I can find myself in where God is not going to be there. If I wander into the vastness of the universe, or into the depth of the earth, if I am removed from the land of the living, or I have been thrown into the pit of hell, you are there. Go home. In verse 9, he says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, he may be So now we go from these spiritual experiences down to earth. It's like, man, if I ran as fast as I could, as far as I could, to the other side of the planet, you're going to be there. And if I run and swim down to the depth of the ocean, the deepest depth, you're going to be there. What are we talking about? I want you to understand something here. He uses this language, this imagery, to help us understand, if I were to take the wings and go as fast as I can, and do it like the morning, so there's these things that come up to sunrise and how the beams of light seep through the atmosphere, and, and it's like wings of the dawn, it's just picking up, it just busts through. Have you ever watched the sunrise? Man, I remember going to the Daytona Beach, Florida, I had to sit out on the surfboard at 5 a.m. in the morning, just waiting for the sun to come up. And it's like, the minute it pops up over that surface, it, it's just blinding and it fills the sky. See, the truth is, is that a beam of light can travel around the entire planet 7.8 times. A single beam of light can travel around our planet 7.8 times in one second. 
And the language here is saying, if I were to take the wings of that dog, if I were to run at any point, you know, turn around a plant in one second, if I were to outrun the speed of life, I'm going to go there and you're still going to be there. The impossibility of outrunning God is what we need to realize. There is not a place that you can flee from God's presence. There is no one You can swim down to the depths of the ocean to places that we can't see, to organisms that, and extinct organisms and fossil organisms that we haven't even conquered yet. And sometimes you can go all the way down there and guess what? You're going to find yourself standing on the bottom of the ocean, the very place that God created. There's no place you can go physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, but God is not there. The question is, will we live? Will we let that truth begin to stick into our life? He goes on to say in verse 10, by love, even then your hand shall leave me, and your right hand shall hold me. Think about that. There's no place I can go spiritually. There's no place I can go emotionally or physically or emotionally to avoid you. Everywhere I go, in every experience of life, your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. Two words I need to understand here. Lead Lead is the idea of constant guidance. No matter what your spiritual experience is, when you're in the room, this is the deep theology which accomplishes your your heading today. The sovereignty of God. There is nothing outside the knowledge, the presence, or the power of God. No matter what your decisions are, no matter how free you feel in making those decisions, it is not escaping the heart, mind, will, and the God. And there's no surprises here. You knew about it before the foundations of the earth, before you ever thought of you, before your parents ever thought of you. You knew about it, and still created you. No matter what decision you make, God is living in the world. He's God. And we're God. We acknowledge that guidance and allow him to lead us into growth and disposition. And when we disregard that guidance and experience one reality for one, a life in the In its fullest extent, for all eternity, the absence of all good, all grace, all mercy, all love, all joy, all hope, all peace. Is that what we want? See, this isn't about God condemning and sending people to hell. This is about God loving and trying to restore people who don't want to be loved and restored. God's kind of God. Will you do it all? And in your right hand, shall hold you. This is the idea of an advantage. What's really powerful about this is when somebody says you're right hand, shall hold you. It's the picture of okay, For those of you who are right handed, you know, that's cool, you're among the mammalian on the planet, that's a strong one. 
And what we represent in this experience is what this looks like for you and your life. How we can find God's presence and stuff. And I want to look at an example and let's see this from the book of Job. See, Job is a man who, who was used as an example to teach us about suffering, unfair suffering, and what it's like to find God in this death and their suffering. Job had incredible wealth and amazing family by all aspects of life he was blessed. He had a great faith, he had a great family, and a, a decent life, a prosperous life. And then one day he lost it. He came and stole his livestock, killed his livestock, a storm came and killed his family, and he left there and put them into pieces. In Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 22, this. Then Job arose after this experience of leaving everything and tore his robe as part of a great grief and shaved his head in the middle of this weeping and wailing. And he fell on the ground and he worshiped. Now, worship is this idea of devoting yourself. That's what, what we're about here, right? When we read sing songs and we read the Bible, it's about devoting our lives to him. That's what it's supposed to be about. In that time, he devoted himself to God. He was and he applied himself to God. And he said, Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and all this Job did not sin or charge God with him. I want to understand a couple things. He devoted himself to God, even though he saw God as an active part of what was going on. The Lord gave and the Lord gave. He worshiped a God that he knew was always present and all-knowing and all-powerful. He has every reason to not feel it in this moment. And I think he's worshiping with great doubt and struggle. But he's still turning to him and looking to him. And he says, what fear do you do? God's still good. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He goes on in chapter 42, verses 12, uh, 42, <coughs> 22. And here's what it says. He uncovers the deep out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. So Job walking through this journey, he's getting advice saying, maybe you deserve it, Job. Maybe you sinned against God, Job. Maybe you just didn't believe in this, Job. Maybe you should have done this, Job. He's going through all the worst that it's finished. Come across this disturbing and suffering. Where is God in the middle of it? Well, in all of that darkness, God brings darkness to life. He takes that pain and he shows Job that God is always there sustaining him, walking with him, grieving with him. That's what the experience looks like. If God is in your presence all the time, that means that in your life, in my life, when we go through struggles and things, equal pain, we're willing to turn to Him, devote ourselves to Him, we come to a place where we realize that God actually walked with us the way. We realize that He was the sustaining strength in the world. And whatever seemed dark, God brought to life to show us that He was there offering hope each and every day. Instead of being a lesson to see, and then Job, where he talks about at the end of the story, he says, he uncovers um, mixed verses. <coughs> and, and 
and at the end of the story, he comes to this conclusion about God and about his faith. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So, Judge is a real something, a real aspect of how he learned from suffering. He had a knowledge of that God. But as he walked through that suffering, all that stuff, like 42 chapters worth of his life, and he said that he could be pretty interesting. I knew about you. I prayed about you. But now I see you. He could look back, and this is before any of his life is restricted. He's looking back, and he can see God was there. It's like this. We read this in Matthew. It talks about blessed are the poor spirit, and they raise to the kingdom of heaven. Well, it's when we come back there, I don't have the spiritual resources to do this for myself, that we realize that God gives us his life and kingdom. So there's a big test between what? Blessed are those who mourn for those that become there. Listen, you're not going to know the temple of God because you don't need the temple of God until you first mourn. There's an experience that comes to life. Listen, God wants us to have all kinds of experiences with us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You're not going to be satisfied until you first find yourself in a position to be hungry and thirsty for God heaven for your life. Listen, God wants to be an active part of every present, but not an experience in your life. So when you're looking for joy, He wants to be the person that provides joy. When you're looking for peace, He's the person that brings peace, but you're going to have to be in a position of conflict to experience that peace, right? So it's not just, you know, I want things to go upward and to turn out, everything's going my way, I experience joy. There are other negative experiences, hard experiences in life where God is equally present and good and kind and gracious. This is what God wants to give us in See, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of Christianity is that God was down on humanity. He created them to no level follow Him. And humanity says, you know what? We want to do things our way. We want our own knowledge of good and evil. We reject God. We walk away from God. We, we settle for lesser versions of life and faith. And we live in this environment saying, no, thank God, that's what you want, but this is my way, and I think it's better. And instead of God hating his creation, getting angry at his creation, and like we would as parents get angry at our kids for rebelling and rejecting our truth, God doesn't do that. He steps in and he says, love and grace and mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. God steps into the mess and he says, I want you to know that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to know, love, and follow me. And I'm going to offer you redemption. I'm going to offer you forgiveness. I'm going to offer you grace, the ability to be restored into the relationship that I created you to have if you simply stop rejecting me and rebelling against me. And he offers it to us just by a simple prayer of faith, saying, you know what, Jesus, you're right. I want what you want, and I trust you to bring it back in my life. And the Bible says that when we place that kind of faith in him, we become alive with Christ. What is spiritually dead and broken in us suddenly becomes alive and renewed in Jesus. And we live in that relationship, that choice every day. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Every decision, every action, every hope, every choice, every dream we live, and every experience that is not me, but Jesus. And as we do that, we experience life, renewing life, and we realize that there's not a place that we can go 
emotionally, spiritually, or physically, where God is not present. Where's our go from your spirit? Where's our flee from your presence? You're always there. Surely, the darkness is so heavy in the light that I can be known that even darkness is not dark to you, the night is as bright as day. Is light with you, Jesus. You are with you. The Bible reminds us to recover our passion begins with trusting that Jesus is always present, and it is impossible. It is impossible for us to be present. Regardless of what you feel, what God is telling us in His Word. Is that there is nowhere you can go where he can't be found. Not just in presence, but face to face. The Spirit of Christ, I want you to know that he's here and I'm with you in that presence. What would your life look like? What would your faith be like if you really lived the you How would you view your strength? How would you view the sin that has been committed against you? How would you view the pain and suffering that comes into your life? Would it not be enough to look at? Your choice is yours. It's there. It's in front of you. You're the only one See, that's the thing. I'm going to let that truth stay alive. See, for some of you this morning, it's 40 years that God has created you in His image, and you rebelled against the that God is. Graciously, we're going to restore you through Jesus' name for you. Maybe for you, Christianity is a more of a ritual you choose, church attendance, prayers that you pray, rituals you go through. I haven't been like a real place with you. I've learned to be a part of your everyday life and to go to the sacred place that we have. I don't know what else to do. I believe that you're the, you know, I'm offended you, I need your forgiveness, and I believe that you are the only one that can make me laugh spiritually. I like that. Bible says if you believe you have that kind of faith, you're saved. Faith in what? Rebelling against God, an empty spiritual life, ultimately a life where you disregard God now and ultimately experience Him in eternity. You know, without his presence, that's what Paul is. It's the complete absence and removal of all good and people that wanted nothing to do with God in their life. You know, they want Paul and Peter. It seems like a harsh truth, but that's the logical place that we're going to lead us. And in all honesty, when we realize the actual Jesus, it's really hard to reject the reason. It's really hard to reject someone that is offering unconditional love. 
if you're here today and you haven't begun a relationship, that's what I'm going to you. If you're here today and you're just a feeling, then I'll just trust you. It's coming to you just trust you for love. I'm an emotional and spiritual mess of things. But you're here. And if I trust that truth, I'm living on the I feel 